I am here to update you on the upcoming releases from Persistent Vision Records. You can pre-order the incredible split between Massanera and Quiet Fear. It's a collaborative split. Both of these bands are great. If you're a fan of Screamo, sign right up. You can pre-order these through Persistent Vision and through Deathwish Inc. Also available is a self-titled 12-inch from the band Goisha, who are a new DC band featuring members of Genocide Pact and Brain Tourniquet. They're playing death metal with elements of grind, black metal, and punk. And lastly, a record from the band Wreath. The album is called The Land Is Not An Idle God. They are a dark, melodic crust band out of London, featuring members of the iconic bands Fall of Afrafa and Morrow. Hit up Persistent Vision or Deathwish Inc. to order now. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Baum. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 180. And my guest this week is Jason Butler of the band Fever 333. And this is uh, this is a really good one. Jason and I go very far back. You're going to hear that in this episode, how long we have known each other and the connections that we've had. Um, I don't see him as often as I'd like, you know, we just caught up for a significant amount of time last summer at some of the uh, European festivals that both of our bands were on. Um, but he's in a prime example. Like, do you have these people in your life that uh, you might go years without talking to aside from some texts here and there? And as soon as you see them, it's like you've picked up right where you left off. That's that's kind of how we are. That's kind of how we've always been. And I think it's just that long standing connection of coming up in this music world that keeps you, you know, on the same page, I suppose. We've had very different careers and I've always been standing on the sidelines kind of cheering him on with all these different twists and turns his career has taken. And uh, I think we cover a lot of it in this conversation. It's been um a long time coming, and I'm glad we got to make it work. I want to let you know, if you're new here, that there is a bonus episode available right now where Jason answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that by going to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month and get access to that bonus episode, plus all of the other bonus episodes and stuff that we have going on over there. If you'd like to find out who's coming on next and submit questions to them, you can subscribe for just a little bit more and uh, you'll get access to that. What else is going on? In Touche Amore news, our Is Survived by Reissue remaster is officially out on all streaming services and the physical versions have all shipped. In about a month from now, we will be flying over to Australia. It's our first time over there since God, like 2017. Um, we will be playing in Perth. On March 9th, Adelaide, March 10th, Melbourne, March 11th, and Belgrave, March 13th. Those are all headline shows. And then uh, we will be a part of New Bloomfest, which features Citizen and Movements and Fleshwater. And uh, that's going to be in Brisbane at the Fortitude Music Hall 
on the 15th, Sydney on the 16th at Roundhouse, and we end in Melbourne again on March 17th at the Melbourne Pavilion. I look forward to going over there. I don't look forward to that flight. Who would? That's fucking too long. Too long to be sitting in one place. Uh, but we really look forward to getting back to Australia. We haven't been over there since Lament came out, and we are so excited to finally be able to play those songs for everybody. So if you're in Australia and you're listening, please come out and hang out. We, uh, we're Especially with those headline shows. I, I seriously can't wait. We're playing some shows with the band Blind Girls. Super good band. In label news, for those that maybe don't realize, I do a label called Secret Voice. In January, we released the Infant Island album, Obsidian Wreath, which has been getting so much critical praise and love from their fan base. Super good band. If you're if you're into like Death Heaven and also legitimate Screamo, it's kind of a melting pot of both of those things. That's kind of an easy descriptor. So if that interests you, go listen to Infant Island. I also released a book for my boy... Nick Steinhardt from Touche Amore, our guitar player, our graphic designer, our probably most artistic person that I know. <laughs> um, he uh, was severely traumatized by the 1994 Northridge earthquake that happened here in Southern California. And as a result, has this insane collection of T-shirts about the earthquake that he has been collecting for years. So he finally put them all in this book. And because he and I are absolute nerds, we did the thing where uh, it's limited to 117, meaning January 17th, get it? It's 67 pages, which uh, includes him tearing out a page. So the first page is torn. Um, And the reason it's 67 is because it was a 6.7. It's $19.94 because it happened in 1994. You get it? You see what we're doing here? We had also put it on sale on January 17th at 4.31 in the morning because he and I are lunatics. Um, most of those have sold, but I still got uh, I still got some copies left. So if that interests you, head on over to secretvoice.bigcartel.com. They're hand numbered and it was a very fun endeavor to take on with him. Okay, that's enough. This is too long of an intro. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the energetic, the brilliant, the ultra-talented, hyper, hyper-handsome, it's Jason Butler. All right, we're already laughing. We're, you know, like, there's this this idea that that when you hit record on a podcast that uh, that's the first genuine reaction. But uh, my guest, Jason, and I, we go... We go far back. And uh, so this is, yeah, this has already been a great start to this. I'm excited. How are you, Jason? I'm well, I'm honestly, it's been, it's an early morning. I know I dragged you up out of bed for this um, with my dad time, but like, honestly, I feel energized and ready for the day. Thanks to you, Mr. Jeremy Bohm. So thank Uh you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I was about to be like, okay, so. Obviously, when you told me that we have to do this at this time in the morning, I was like, you fucking dad. Um, but there's few people that I would be like, you know what? It's fine. It's worth it. You know, just, do you know what, actually what I think I'm the most offended by with the time? It's because What's usually that? when I have to do this, it's with someone on the East Coast. But the fact that you are on my goddamn coast. <laughs> I, bro, I was up at 530 today, like trying to get my dog. I, was, had to, I had to pull my dog up. He was like trying to sleep. I'm like, no, no, we got to get up and run, boy. Get this cardio kind of, in. Okay, okay. You know what? I was about to. Is it boring? I was like, is it boring to just ask what the morning routine is? But no, it's not. <laughs> I want to know. So you're up and you run first. 
Yeah, I, I get up and I run first. And it's really, honestly, it's, I've been doing it for I don't know, long, 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 long. And I still have to force myself to do it. It's not like I'm like, yeah, let's go. I'm like, fuck, man, you really going to do it? And then after I'm done, I'm like, oh, you did it. Okay, so the rest of the day won't be so challenging. You won't be so anxious. Like, that's why I do it. So I have two follow-up questions. Yeah. One, are you drinking a coffee before you run or are you just out of bed, shorts on, yep. shoes on, go? Just straight into it, straight into it. I just get it. You know, I, I only started drinking coffee in the last month because it's part of a routine to suppress part of my appetite. I've never, I never drank coffee. I'm, I'm 38 and I just started drinking coffee, black coffee, and I hate it. Again, I hate it. I don't even like it. I just do it because it's- Are you doing a hot coffee? Yeah, hot coffee. Have Have you, now that you're on the wagon, have you explored <laughs> iced coffee in any sort of capacity? Yeah, I hate it too. You hate it too, yeah. <laughs> I hate no. all of it. Hey, yo, I, I, I get it. I mean, when I first got into coffee, it was also a little bit later in my life. It was like diva drinks you know what i'm saying i was like yeah throw, let's throw all the sweet in this thing yeah now i'm now i'm a, a black coffee guy but i'm with you sometimes you, you take a sip and you're like i feel like i'm drinking cigarettes straight up that's it i feel like i'm drinking cigarettes and you know what i'm saying i'm i'm staying nailed to the x so anything that gets me that close to cigarettes i'm like you know what <laughs> might be might be wrong for me um, okay so you did it as a part of a as part of a uh like a a bodily function situation where you're like that's I need it. to implement coffee okay Okay. Yeah. Um, my, what was my second question? Oh, my second question was, is the reason you have found yourself doing that is to, it's probably, I probably already know the answer, but like to keep your body, you know, moving so that you don't fall apart off tour. Yeah. You know what? Partially, it actually started with my mind. It was actually for my brain, just, um, being able to feel like I needed another challenge because I was waking up and just getting with my kids, right? Like that's what I was doing. I was waking up, getting them dressed, <clears throat> doing breakfast, whatever, which is fine and great. And I actually love that time. But when it became part of the automaticity of my day, I was like, oh, I need it. I need something else so that I feel challenged before this. And um, so I just added it to my day as a challenge. Also, I started meditating. I just started getting all you know, 108 on this bitch, you know what I'm saying? So like, I was like, just trying to be more meditative and, and trying to like be a little more introspective and calm before I started the chaos that is my life. You, so along with coffee, you recently started meditating? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is interesting to me because I find you and I have a whole lot in common. I don't think I have the capacity to do it because my brain doesn't shut up, but you strike mm. me as some of those people too. So how hard was it for you to actually get it to work? Like, did really you have difficult. starts and stops? Yes. Yeah. So for me, <clears throat> I'm quite obsessive. So like I'll start something and really, really get into it. And, um, what I did was when I found out that when I found a practice that really like, uh, laid into the fact that I don't have to get it to stop, I just have to note what it's saying and then get back and then practice. When I, when I turned meditation into a practice or challenge is when I was able to really, really dig my teeth in because I was like, oh, okay, so this is another, it's like competitive almost for, for me, you know, it's in a weird way, which seems quite ironic. But yeah, once I was able to understand that I don't need it to stop, I just need to be able to note what I'm thinking about and get back into this and think about this thing. If I can replace these thoughts with this meditative, like, you know, this meditative thought, then I'm okay. Your 
this makes so much sense. I love that you're going into the thing that is supposed to be the most peaceful thing with an aggressive <laughs> attitude. <laughs> I got you, man. Like the one thing I need to do all the time is understand myself for who I am for real, not who I want to be or who I project myself to be um, onto others or on stage, but who I really am, you know? And, and, and what I understand is there was a moment when I was younger <clears throat> Uh, speaking to first ever, one of my first ever moments as a young one, understanding how competitive I was and how it might actually affect my relationships in my life. So I had to do that very young when it came to skateboarding, sports, art, various things. I was like, I'm going to be the best. And people didn't like that, especially if you put it out there, like I'm going to be the best. So <clears throat> what I did was I, I understood that the competition needs to be with myself and quiet. So Everything I do now, I turn it into some type of competition with myself. I don't really try to talk too much about it publicly um, unless I'm asked. So, yeah, no, that's I feel I'm that. That's, I mean, that's big of you to have realized that and also found ways to work around it. You know, I've always looked at you as someone who is very charismatic and is like, I could look at you and be like, okay, that guy can clearly kickflip. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> There's certain friends, there's certain friends in my life where like, and that's why, you know, I think that's why Turnstile got as big as they did for a, well, one of the reasons where you look at them and you're like, oh, everyone in that band can kickflip. For sure. I love that. Actually, that needs to be in their bio because that is so real. You know, these fools are kick flipping, switch yeah. flipping. There's someone in there that can tray flip for sure. Yeah. It's also the same thing. It's like these guys can backflip on a pool, yeah. in a pool. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That's it, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, whereas like you look at my band and you're like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but y'all, I'm like, no, but I do look at y'all. I'm like, they could have some, probably some deep existential conversations that will run circles around most of these fools on this rest of this festival. No offense to the other fools on the festival, but I'm trying to have a talk with you. You feel me? <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, man, you're, this, yeah, this is, uh, I already knew this is going to be a, a fun chat. This is, you know, if for listeners, it's, you know, I'm sure we would hit on it eventually but like you know you and i have known each other for definitely 20 years at this point yep. if not maybe a little bit longer than that yep and um but you know like a classic situation of people in bands and stuff like that it's like you know we often though we are in the same town we often just see each other at these weird festivals or or things like that but when we do it's like the classic friendship where you pick up right where you left off and you yep. just can chat and chat and chat and chat and you and i had a, a really lovely time at Vainstream, yeah, Vainstream, yep. And I remember, like, you and I were chatting probably for like at least over an hour straight, and we were getting really deep with all these certain things. And then Jacoby yep. from from Papa Roach came over <laughs> and just like, appeared in this conversation, and then was you know really fun. But at the same time, I was just like, "What the fuck world are we in right now?" Yeah, <laughs> this is Dude, crazy. I know. Uh, but I I I put a pin in it in my brain where I was like. I got to I got to get my boy on the podcast so we could actually just hammer some of this it. stuff out because as much as I love those conversations for for one on one and often that's where those should belong um I think that there's so much between you and I um that I think would be fun for people to actually hear. Hell so yeah. I appreciate you being here doing this. Thank you for having me honestly. It's it's an honor. Um you are someone that I've um respected and revered and and had praise for like honestly from the jump you know and i really do mean that like back from like our friend our friend friends that we know all the way to fucking neggy russ <laughs> my, my man to fucking our band friends and and everyone listening here like i i i see you as somebody as a person first 
you know, I see you as a person first. A lot of people I've met and I see them as someone that I met through music or whatever, totally. you know, or a person that, but you're, you are, I see you as a person and a friend first. Ah, oh, that's really sweet. Do you, I was wondering, and I'm sure we've talked about it. So this, I probably already know the answer to it, but do you know the first real interaction? Do you remember the first real action interaction? I'm not trying to put you on the spot either. Cause I will happily divulge what I remember as the first interaction. I One of the first. I, well, I, I just remember, I just remember in being in the Valley. Okay. Is that, am so, I correct? Yes. So we definitely were in periphery for a long time. Right. Yeah. And then our bands, my, my old band, uh, which I think at that point was still stricken, which I stricken, think at that point yep. was still stricken. Yep. Uh, we were, uh, we played with let live at Kung Fu corner. Yep. In thousand Oaks. Yep. And I remember going up to you and being like, yo, what's up? Hey, do you like glass jaw? We're going to do a glass jaw cover tonight. We're going yeah, to, like, yeah. Like, like I, was, I was like, yo, we know how to play motel, the white locust. Do you yep. want to sing it with us? And you were like, yep. man, you know, I want to sing it with you. <laughs> So that was it. Like, well, like we, like we, that was our first like real time talking. And then yep. we were like, all right, fuck it. Like we kind of, you know, I would never want to watch a video. Cause I guarantee you, I was playing that shit all wrong. <laughs> Do not tell Justin Beck. I was playing that shit all wrong. <laughs> so, but anyway, it was like, Hey, let's do this. So you grabbed the mic and we, we did that cover together. And I, I was so like, good. Is, yes. This is my yes, guy. Right that's here. right. Fuck the Kung Fu corner, dude. That's amazing. Yeah. And for people listening, that was one of the very unique DIY spots in Southern California. It was like, you know, a little bit of a hike uh, to get there because Thousand Oaks is basically like kind of the quarter way to Santa Barbara. Yeah, um, right. Deep in the valley. But uh, but it was a karate dojo that did shows. Um, Justin Itchy right there. Hell yeah. And the twist was you had to take your shoes off to attend the show. So yeah. way, <laughs> you'd walk inside and you'd be like, is this a sleepover? No shoes on that. <laughs> This is a no shoes household. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a pile, piles and piles and piles of dirty converse, uh, and like it. just up against the wall, and then people trying to like act real in a hardcore show with yep. their, in their socks. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Right. I feel like that's so. That's like such a bigger play right there too. Right. We were all trying to be so much bigger and badder than we most of us were in the name of hardcore, but you had to take your shoes off. <laughs> I feel like that's yeah. like the metaphor. Exactly. There was one or two people. I'd be like, man, I've always been intimidated by that guy, but his toe, <laughs> no, his, shoeless. his toe is poking out of his sock. He got, he got holes in his sock. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so yeah. afraid of that man anymore. <laughs> no, nah, not so much. huh? <laughs> um, yo, so uh, there's thing uh, I got to say, one of my favorite things about doing the show as long as I have now a few years is even though I could have someone on that I have known for a very long time, I'm still going to be able to discover things that maybe I didn't totally realize. Right. Mm. <clears throat> so I know you're from Inglewood, born and raised. Is that mm -hmm. is that? Yeah. OK, so mm -hmm. I established we established that I knew that um, when you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that like your folks were playing. I know your father was an accomplished singer, mm. all of that. But like, was there something that you found on your own that made you feel like you had your own identity? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Okay, so because it kind of it's a kind of a two part answer for me. So <clears throat> it started with the first thing that I found was a song that was on the movie Airborne, where that dude who rollerbladed and surfed. It was like a it, Jack Black is in it actually, but it's like a low budget film, and I can't remember how I saw it. I think it was on like cable. We had the black box, totally. like stolen cable, whatever. But there's a song called "My Love Is Good Enough," and it's by an artist called Jeremy Jordan. 
it's interesting because Jeremy Jordan is singing R&B. Sounds like a brother. He's white. <laughs> okay, so I didn't know that. I'm like, damn, this brother sing whatever. And I really, because it was a movie and the dude was kind of alternative. He's rollerblading and surfing and I'm in the hood and I'm mixed. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, I like this. So I, that's the first thing I found like by myself and like really was like, I love this song. And, and I didn't have the tape or anything. So I would just play it back and, you know, uh, I dub the VHS on, I recorded on TV and then I would play the scenes that the song would be on over and over again. And so that was kind of the first time I found a song that I like fell in love with and listened to and over and over. But, but again, in context against the background of the hood and where I was from and culturally really, um, again, through visual, uh, I found, found the Sonic, which was V, uh, which was, um, 411 video magazine those skate videos yeah i started finding like minor threat and you know but also tribe called quest like on the same tape right so really it was sort of like like movies and videos that got me into um music like that so my the first thing i found on my own really was like i said jeremy jordan but also pretty much anything from the hip-hop and punk rock that was playing on um the the 411 videos you know, it's funny, recently, uh, within the last year, a, a guest brought up something similar about obviously like finding finding a lot of eclectic music in those skate videos, um, which is something that is super cool because um, often you like to assume that whomever's part in the video, that is, they chose the music. And then so right. you get this wide array of like, oh, maybe you get a really good soul song or maybe you get right. super punk or maybe you get, right. you know, really good hip hop. Um has there ever been a streaming channel? This is a million dollar idea that actually plays mm. these fucking skate videos. Like, is there a streaming? Dude. You know what I'm saying? We need to like, get on that today. Like, that's a good ass idea. Like, like you talk to anyone who's into skateboarding. I was never a, a kid who skated, but all my friends did. So, like, I'm familiar with all of these titles. But like, yep. I just think of them as like beat up VHSs that were in my friend's yep. bedroom. So, like, that's real. So, there's a part of me that's like, it's crazy that these aren't as far as I know, available on yeah. any direct streaming network. But I think on the other side, what would make it tough is getting the rights to play those that's because it. of the songs. You know what I'm saying? But that's this fucking smart, though. I mean, you got to think, right? Like, I mean, I wonder how. Yeah, that's a, such a good question and inquiry, too. Like, how did they get the licensing to those? Oh, that, Wild West, man. Wild you West. You feel they me? It was, yeah, huh? They, yeah, they didn't get any permission. They didn't have to back in the day. <laughs> That's so yeah, because there was yeah. like fucking Iron Maiden and shit, and like ACDC on Straight some of these up. parts. Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. They didn't get none yeah. of that shit. You're and right. the people who worked for them, that was at the time when those bands were definite. I mean, they still are, but like printing money, so they're not going to chase down these like skateboarders and be like, "Hey, no. you owe us like ten grand for these songs." Damn. you know what I'm saying? So, good point yeah that's interesting and also there's a part of you that's like hey look what happened when you heard that stuff you discovered stuff you know what i'm saying like i think the Absolutely. early days of people appreciating that people are going to find music through those things without expecting any sort of financial back end though i'm mm. not blaming anyone for wanting the financial back end i think sure. it was often looked at as more of like hey this is a positive you know we're getting yeah, wow. people are discovering us anyway that's so good that's a great point overall just an overall great point <laughs> um what was the also before we move on from your pops uh i his name is elon elon um mm -hmm. and he had uh he put out records as a part of a group and then also solo i was trying to sort of like figure that out so i had never heard it and i 
and there's some songs uh there's like two songs or something like that on spotify it's fucking incredible it's so good look the the reality is is that man he 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 missed his time it was it's like fuck him being my dad like whatever any sort of bias like just objectively speaking and technically speaking it's so good it's so good and it really did compete with major artists at the time to where like you know marvin gay for example was like to to my father being like you are the baddest brother i've seen like like real shit like i'm not just sitting here like whatever it it really was like that and um we i talk about it a lot a lot more often now that i'm in the you know the career space that i'm in and I, it it is fucked up how my dad got played it really is cuz he it was incredible um yeah like so did he cuz it's funny i was like of course cuz my brain i'm like i'm like What's up with this on vinyl? And there's like three seven inches, right? That I that yeah. I've seen. One of those seven inches goes for quite a lot of money. Yeah, there's like tri- one seven inch in particular. The, is it's it like, the one with the new breed band? Ooh, it could be. There was th- yeah, there was three that was listed, and I was like, I was like, okay, yeah, like sick. That's awesome. Like, cause I know Soul Seven Inches, like Jeff Eaton from Modern Life Is War, like his whole shit is collecting Soul Seven Inches. Like he's that's, that's awesome. like he's in the deep of on that stuff. And like explained awesome. to me one time, like between Soul and like Dub, like that's his shit. Wow. Um, and he was like, dude, there's seven inches that are worth so much money yeah that are like yeah, yeah. very obscure and i was like i wouldn't even know where to begin with this stuff but yeah i looked yep. at it, i was like oh my god one of these goes for like fucking 500 bucks like that's yeah huge. it's crazy it's, it's crazy. amazing it's crazy it's a crazy thing and it really does inform how i move in this industry for sure is your do you mind if I, is your father still with us he is yeah yeah he lived just down the street he's still in inglewood he'd been there the okay whole, the whole time um mm-hmm from from what I read, it's like it seemed like I mean I'm sure there's this is just a blip in a fucking like a Wikipedia type of thing, but was it a situation where he mostly stopped because he had you? That's what it said at least. I know there's probably always yeah. more than that. Yeah, for the most part, like my mom, because he he was out so much and um and and things had really taken a turn for the worse when I was born, okay. uh, as far as um the, the financial standing that he had and also the business transactions that he had made via contracts and managers and labels and it's an it's a tale as old as time right like a black man being given a cadillac and then while you know while he's driving they're they're stealing everything from his house so that's literally what happened to him is they we Mm -hmm. lost our home we lost everything and um he had to kind of figure out how he was gonna support the family my mom's was like look like i get it but this touring shit isn't bringing anything you're not making anything right so we got to figure it out so he he became an accountant. <laughs> he went to school and became an accountant. And um, I do got to really on as a father myself now, I have to say thank you to my dad because I, I can't even fathom having to put away the thing that the one thing that I have been in love with since I can remember. And the one thing I try to make a career and the one thing I thought I would do for the rest of my life, having to put that to bed um, and become an accountant for my family. Like and I, and I got to give him, you know, whether or not our, our relationship was the greatest or not like he did that and that's a big move so it's crazy absolutely what an amazing response to the situation too to be like be like okay okay i'm gonna go to school and or figure out the thing that i need to you know like that that people took advantage of like i'm gonna know all the gritty details of like how this business works exactly that's that's so smart you're absolutely right yeah that's exactly and that's exactly what he did and i'm sure that there was contempt just growing growing contempt as he learned how many digits they had stolen from him as he was accounting for these companies but it's um yeah 
I mean, you think about you think about even just you and I being in this world as long as we have and between the friends that we make or between the situations that we've personally been in where you have that self-discovery about, you know, maybe finances not being as as honest as they are. So like, yeah. Yes. Man, 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 man. Um, What was the first album that you also first before we move on? Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Uh, what was the first album that you remember buying yourself, like maybe with allowance or something like that? The first album, I got to keep it super real. I, yeah. The first album, I, I I actually stole my first album and got caught. Um, but it was, again, when I started to get into, um, when I started to get into rock and yeah. like corn was a thing. <laughs> and I was yeah. like... You know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it had a parental advisory sticker. So I didn't really steal it because I wanted to be bad. I stole it because I couldn't buy it. And I knew my parents weren't going to buy it for me. Yeah. So I stole I stole um, this corn album, uh, Life is Peachy, Okay. and got caught. My mom my mom was like, how did you get that? She saw the parental advisory sticker. She said, what did oh, you get? Oh, so that you made it out of the store. Oh, I made it. I was out. I was slick. <laughs> I was slick. It wasn't the store that caught me. It was mom's. So I was slick. So I got out. And um, my mom realized that I couldn't have bought it. They wouldn't have sold it to me. And she, I couldn't think quick enough to like get her an answer when she said, who gave it to you? So she found out that I had taken it and made me take it back. I had to take it back to fucking the warehouse, warehouse music on La Cienega right there. So, yeah. I wow. got <laughs> Oh, my yeah. God. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so funny. You're You're putting so much effort on the stealing the thing that you're not thinking about any of the backup material that's it right exactly i'm like i'm so anxious walking out that bitch like and and seriously i didn't really i wasn't that kind of person i just really wanted to get into music and and i didn't steal anything else until i started touring i so i I never stole anything else again until i started touring in it and and walmart was always my my largest victim so yeah yeah um so I had a warehouse at the top of my street as well, right? Wow. Like I, there, there was a warehouse music right there. Um, yes. I have funny memories of it. Uh, one in particular was there was, a, I think it was the, I honestly think it was the family values tour the first year. Wow. Right. And yep. there, and it was like me and my friends were like, man, we got to get there at five in the morning to get in line. <laughs> so we're first in line to get these tickets. And I yes. think they went on sale at 10. Now, how many wow. people were in line when they went on sale at 10? Now, how many people were in line? Yes, Just y'all. Me, just me and my three friends. I love it. <laughs> so we I just, love we it. Got, we got up at five in the morning and stood here and no one came. No. I I just, love- <laughs> it was I like Beatlemania for y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, <laughs> the, the tour was still very successful, but I was just like, man, why, why were we here at five in the morning? This sucks. I um, love that, dude. Oh, that's so funny. So, uh, yeah, and man, life is peachy. It's funny. I, I got to interview Jonathan Davis for alternative press like really yeah it was like a it was really funny I'll, I'll keep this short but basically like um it was when our fourth record was coming out and it was pitched as like yeah we'll do like an artist on artist interview and i just yeah, laughed yeah. i was like that man's not asking me a damn question yeah. <laughs> it's like let's be honest why would he, he like like i am so happy to just inter- interview him because For i sure. like you was like they you know, I've, I've said a million times on the show, but basically like once Kurt Cobain died, I thought music was done. And then six months later, I saw the video for Blind. And then my, Hell that's, where my yeah. that's where my my life went, where I was like, OK, this is a new thing. It sounds totally different. It's hyper aggressive. It scares Hell me in a lot yeah. of ways. Like I need this. Right. I love that. So I, 
I, I had, so when I got a, that opportunity to interview Jonathan Davis, I was like, I have so many questions, but they're only in the kind of the front end of his career. I kind of feel bad because right. I don't, I don't really know what to really ask him post issues, I guess. Right. Um, so I, you know, I had to do my due diligence and come up with things to ask him. And that had, turned out to actually be really incredible. Some of the stuff that came out of his mouth, but basically like when I was reviewing shit, I was looking at life is peachy. I was like, damn like th there's a website that actually has their entire touring schedule from back when and it is no it makes way. our bands look like we don't work at all like no way absolutely fucking crazy when you look how how they just went from tour to tour to tour to tour to tour you're looking at this being like when did you have time to write a record right amazing so i, so love it. I tried to <laughs> i tried to in the least offensive way, because I was like, I have to word this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm cutting because I respect this man and I respect that record and everything like that. But I was like, looking at this being like, where did they have time to write this record? Because then when you revisit that album, you're like, okay, the opening track, he's just making his his noises. Yep. There's there's a song called Porno Creep, which is just an instrumental. There's yep. two cover songs, Lowrider and uh, Wicked. Yeah. And then there's a song where he just says a bunch of bad words. It's just him <laughs> saying a bunch of bad words. So yep. I'm looking at this being like, to me, I would describe a lot of this as filler for, to sure. make a full album. You know what I'm sure. saying? Because like when you look yeah. at it, there's like maybe half the record is actual songs, right? Right. So I was like, how do I ask this in a way that is polite where I'm like, hey, were you guys basically like ready to be in the studio or were these ideas mm, kind of came good, together? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I put on my like, I put on my touche brain where I was like, I've had a bit of a career now. I could look at this right. in a different light. And right. um, anytime, Jason, that I asked him a question that I thought maybe we would whatever he went the other way he was like nah man we loved all that shit <laughs> you're like oh yeah no for sure, for sure. yeah 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 no I, me too I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah no i wasn't thinking negatively about this in any way yeah that's that's not where i was going yeah let's go let's go this way yeah. <laughs> also you know just to, to finish that up I, so fall of the leader came out in 98 biggest record in the entire world right like took the yeah, world by storm massive brought them to another level yep now, you look at this in 2024 eyes, if you had a record that popular, you're going to tour the hell out of that motherfucker for me? at least three years, right? You're just yeah. going to milk that thing before you yep. go back in. Do you know when Issues came out? When? One year 95. later. Stop 90, playing! Dude, dude, 98, Fall the Leader, 99 Issues. Where I was just like... That's crazy. I was like, what a different world. A, that's crazy. A because time moves so differently that I felt like it was a it it was six years before the next album. Sure, came. sure. I was all excited because time just moves so differently. But also, it's just so crazy to think that like you didn't milk this thing. I think they probably just did like a headliner, maybe Family Values tour, and then right back to the studio. Wow, that's that actually what dude. My old manager was their manager at that time, and the no stories way. he is, dude. Yes, Peter Katzis has the most insane stories about that trajectory dude let me look he was doing corn limp biscuit and i think he i think then later backstreet boys i think all at the same time dude is that person's mm -hmm. middle name trl yo i'm saying right you literally yo they okay here's the story speaking of TRL, see that's why you're so brilliant the they had to change the rules on TRL for how long a, a song could sit there because right. of Corn got the life. How do you mean? I'm, so, like, they were on it for so long. I think at the top, I should have Peter here. Please, like, take this loosely yeah, with a grain of salt, but I'm pretty sure 
that Peter told me that they had to change how long you could stay at number one um, because Corn Got the Life was at number one for so long. I'm almost sure it's that song, but I am sure that it had to change rules because of Corn. Oh my God. Isn't wow, that crazy? What a, what a flex. What a flex. What, what a flex. And what a time, right? Like imagine yeah. that song, you know, like where hip hop is so dominant and pop pop and, and what we what is considered alternative music now. Yeah. It's so you know, alt pop or whatever is so dominant now. It's crazy to think that that's what was, you know, just commanding the airwaves at the time. Oh my God. That's so, that's so crazy. Uh, just, just so you know that, the, that, that my brain that asked that same life is peachy question. I, I noticed the issues thing a year later. And I was like, I was like, what was the motivation for that? You would think you'd want to tour the hell out of it. Was it like management label trying to just get you in there to like keep the fire burning? And he was like, yeah, it's like, no, nah, man, we just wanted to do it. <laughs> oh my, I love it. I love it dude. because that's probably partially like how those bands were operating and it was working at the time. Right. right. Like, especially post-Kurt, right? Post-Kurt, where, where he was an artist. I mean, like, archetype, like, on all, like, he, he literally would die for this. And I think that they were like, fuck it. Like, to, 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 to our detriment, or to an artist's detriment, being like, feed this part of the artistry where they're, you know, uh, self-deprecating and self-destructive and whatever they want, however they want, as long as they get us something. It's, it's so interesting to, th- to see how they still manipulated us but uh, but and whereas now they tell us like oh you gotta like clean up so you can get in the thing but but then look at the art that's being created right like right. sometimes often it's not very good because we're being told when and how so there's that really funny balance and it's almost existential in a way where you think about these forces that are are, are creating the art or or prompting you to create your art and how you do it when you do it and why you do it it's it's really fascinating Absolutely. to think about it yeah, like you would, because th- you'd like to think that the label and all those people actually, when you really think about it, would be like, please do like five more world tours before we go yeah. back in. But the band being yeah. like, no, we want to go write more songs. That's really, it's, it's pretty fascinating. It's crazy, right? Um, What was your first concert? My dad. Yeah, it'd just be my dad. My dad was my first concert. Um, You know, he was playing like an old school festival um, with like, you know, Zap and. and um, oh, shit. Yeah, and just some other like cool shit like that, and then but the what and then one that's not like compulsory, I guess, would be um, my first concert would be Bush, like which is still oh, my shit. favorite band to today. Damn, Bush, yeah, yeah. I saw them with Veruca Salt. Damn, yeah. that's a sick ass show. Was that where sick. was that? It was at the Great West at the at the Great Western Forum. Oh damn, that in rules. Inglewood. Yeah, it damn, was that's sick. so cool. Uh, yeah, it was sick. Have you met Kevin Rosdale from like Bro. doing these festivals? Dude, not only have I met him, he be in like photos wearing fever gear. He'll send oh, me that's... text messages for with like it, like this encouragement. Like it's dude, he like invited me over to like I don't know, cook and play tennis or some shit. Like I mean, really crazy shit to the point where I have to stop myself from screenshotting it and sending yeah. it to all my friends i grew up of with course. like can you believe this um <laughs> right you yeah. know and like, you're like I, cool. wanna, I want everyone to know that i'm friends with this man but i have you to, feel me I I'm like, guys, yeah i did it like i did it um the guy that wrote glycerine is sending me fucking cookbook clips yeah but uh yeah man nah he's cool as fuck like he really is so cool and kind and very eccentric which i love like he is the artist who wrote, you know, uh, Bad Moon White Again, like, 
he is the guy I want him to be. He's he's yeah. he's, he's an artist. It's cool, man. It's very cool. That's amazing. There, we played a Puka Pop in like 2012 or something like that, and mm. uh, they were on it. And also, I love that that festival was so cool because it was so wildly eclectic. Hell yeah! I think Hell our yeah. day then was like the headliners were Bush, Bjork, and Snoop Dogg. I love it. That's my fucking childhood. Literally. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember we're like, in, and you know, shout out to these European festivals because it's the only festivals where they're just like, oh, we don't care if you're the headliner. Everybody is in this communal. You feel uh, me? Catering yeah. area. Catering yep. area. So like when you're a stupid fucking hardcore band from Los Angeles and you walk in there <laughs> and you're just like, holy shit, that's fucking so-and-so yep. just like, eating the same shitty food that we are yes um, yes so anyway uh we bush was obviously playing was playing that year and i remember just like we, we were sitting at our table and i was looking at looking at him eating and i was just like damn he is handsome but also yes uh, i was like I, I knew the schedule that day because we were all excited to be there and i was like this man goes on in 40 minutes and he just <laughs> ate two plates of food like <laughs> thinking about i was like how is this gonna happen like this man yep. just took down so much food yeah and they're on very soon so <laughs> i was like i want to meet this man you know so like i waited until he was clearing his plate to go like happen to clear my plate at the same time so i did yep. that thing and i was just like hey, yep. i got a photo with him and whatever but i was like i was like hey I i'm sorry i'm just stunned by this aren't you on in like 20 minutes like i'm astonished by how what you just put down <laughs> And he looked at me very honestly, deep in my eyes, and he just goes, I'm going to be honest with you. I just woke up. I didn't know when we were playing. I'm fucked. No! No! <laughs> I love it. I love it. I loved how honest he was, and I, I just laughed, and I was like, well, I'm going to be watching Stein Stage, and he's like, if you see me throw up, I, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know why. I love yeah. that, dude. But of course, he went up there just like sleek and slender and just looked like mm. he didn't have a didn't have a problem in the world. Dude, I know. That's I seriously he it's it's funny because I said the same exact thing before I'd met him and everything. I I'd seen him at festivals and I was yeah. like to my friends at home, I'm like, yo, he's still dumb, handsome, and he's like buff and buff. what the fuck is going on, dude? Wearing like the Travis Barker ass cut. hundred uh, percent like, yeah, like, like the deep cut, cut off. fucking yeah. cut off shirt. Like seeing those That's tight it, ass ribs. <laughs> you <laughs> I was like, this man got obliques. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah it's um, crazy. Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, work, coffeebar.com. So what was the first uh, instrument you learned how to play? First instrument would be guitar. Yeah, first gu was guitar. And again, a lot of this, well, the common denominator here would be my father. Uh, sure. 
he was really good. He was he was actually like a self-taught multi-instrumentalist, really, really good at everything. But um, when I would watch him play guitar, I just thought it was so cool. And to be super honest, um, kind of to touch back on the first question or to attach it to the first question. Yeah. When I saw Michael J. Fox as uh, Marty McFly in Back to the Future playing with, um, you know, Marvin Berry, who was supposed to be Chuck Berry's right. cousin, you know, <laughs> playing Johnny B. Good. Yeah. I was I was I was hooked. I was like, oh, I want to do that. That's that's what I want to do. I want to play guitar. I want to sing. I want to do the duck walk. I want to, you know, what I'm saying. And and again, the, another common theme here, a thread is, I'm watching these like white people do black things, and I was it spoke to me. I was like, because I'm mixed, right? So I'm like, oh, I love his music, but like, you know, he's lighter skinned, but he's doing it like that. So honestly, in some weird, almost possibly subconscious way, I'm like attaching myself to these situations, which I find to be really. I'm literally discovering that right now on this podcast so yeah. let it be known that i had this massive self-discovery on on jeremy Bowles' uh podcast okay let it be known um but wow yeah, yeah so the, the needle is just being thread you're like i just watched michael j fox skateboard which i love yes to do. yes and, yeah oh wow no seriously it was really really fucking interesting it's really fucking interesting right now to, to have this realization but that was the first instrument because of that and then my father of course and then he wouldn't really let me play music like that because of what had happened to him in the industry. So he was that was away from it. That was going to be a question I wanted to ask is because mm -hmm. of the fallout that he had and the feelings that he had and all of that sort of stuff. Like, I was curious if as you were getting older, he tried to push you away from taking it so seriously. Yeah, yeah. It was much more, much more focused towards academia and sports, which uh, are two things I you know, had a moment of excelling in. And then, um, and then I just, when him and I sort of, when he didn't have as much say in what I did, you know, whether that was, I was getting older, more autonomy, he may, may have been less present in my life, um, various factors. I then became so, so, so into music that I knew that's all I wanted to do. I, what, what had happened was I actually, my father was away he wasn't at home at the time. I broke my, I, I, it was a moment where I had broken both of my ankles, like one right after the other, um, skating, trying to film for this part. And in that time, I picked my guitar up for real and just started writing songs. You know, I was like 14 and started writing, writing songs. And so that's when it all kind of came, started for me where I was like, okay, like, I love this thing. I love skateboarding and I'm going to keep doing it. But I'm like, there's something more, there's something deeper hear from me something you know that i can't really explain and, and that i want to take further so yeah so once the band once your band started to pop off even maybe locally right and then as yeah. things started to grow were you comfortable or how were you showing your pops what you a were you showing your pops what you were doing and if you were was it more do you think it was more framed around <clears throat> like Hey, look, I'm doing really good and wanting his approval, or like, mm. hey, look, I'm doing really good. Um, don't be scared. Ooh. I, I I wanted approval. There's just no question. I, I wanted approval. I wanted there's a type of love that I never got from my father that I wanted. There was a type of relationship that I never got with my father that I know I wanted, and that I actually see myself, you know, at times uh overextending into the relationship with my own sons, right? Like I'm just I'm 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 living it there. And uh yeah, I was I was definitely trying to get approval and and knowing <clears throat> on an objective and technical level that my dad was just better than I was. 
He just was and is. He just is a better musician, both raw talent and the time that he's put in, the way he's put it in, right? Like punk rock, hardcore, hip hop, these things, there's there's another level of artistry or, or um, participation that you have in them, right? It's the effort that you put into the scene as well. And it's where how you get yourself on shows. And whereas back then, my father, it's like, you got to be a dope musician. That's that. Like, get right. good at your instrument and play. Whereas we got a lot of, we got away with a lot of shit because we could perform a certain way or we wrote these types of songs or it was the energy or whatever. So on a very objective le- level, my father's is a better musician than me. So there was part of that driving me going back to our earlier conversation about me being competitive, right. where I had this secret competition with my father, you mm-hmm. know, and yes. that has driven a lot of what I've done in the way I do it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense. Um, what was the first song that you remember that you learned how to play? where you're like, oh shit, I'm actually, I figured this out. Or like, oh, this sounds actually like how it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, first song I tried was Johnny Be Good, never got it. And so I got to Glycerine and that was the first song that I learned how to play properly. Man. And then was a Voodoo Glow, Glow, Glow School song after that. <laughs> hey, I love that because that also uh, shows um just how open-minded pe- you are as a child you know what i'm saying we're yeah, like you right? can be really into bush but also really into voodoo ghost skulls and it just doesn't <laughs> seem weird at all like right that. right you're like this is a guitar <laughs> yeah exactly um but i remember also because you and i are pretty close in age is is when i started playing guitar also learning glycerin but i also remember realizing oh my god this is also when i come around from green day wow you know what i'm saying yep it is uh and and it it just opens your mind to be like oh like you can just kind of do the same sorts of things but it can be just performed in in maybe a different tempo or a little or just have a different vocal cadence and it's like you would never know the difference you know totally do you tell people on this podcast that like how like you played guitar you were a guitar player in a band do people on this they know that right on this podcast yeah i mean i don't I think that because touche has been a thing for so long that like whenever people who I've known for a long time or yeah. if I'm on another podcast and want to talk about other bands that I was in, um, you know, like we'll touch on it a little bit, but yeah, it's like, you know, that was what I did for so long. It took it. I was so, I always, I think wanted to be a front person, but I didn't have right. the confidence to do it for like one right. million reasons or another. So then when I finally did it, uh, Yo, you were really, you also knew that band, um, uh, I Am The Ocean, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Jeremy, Drew, Taylor, yeah. all them, Binks. Yeah. So, so Thriller toured with them a lot. Like, yep. right. I remember that. <laughs> right. And there was a tour. I mean, that band, that band needs a documentary. I'll just say that. Uh, but, <laughs> but there was a tour that we did with them where their singer just couldn't go. So they were like, it's all right. We're just going to play instrumental. I and love us, it. we were just like, wow. So we just it. became close and they were like, hey, they were like asking us if any of you guys want to sing any of our songs. And they had one song that was like hyper aggressive that was just yelling the whole time. And that was the first band that I ever picked up a microphone and sang for. And I got no the, way I got the bug where I was like, no way. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, I really enjoy doing this. This is a lot of fun. I I've, I felt my body react and move in a way that wow because that's kind of a fun thing that like i'll i'll ask a lot of front people on the show which i'm which i'll maybe we could just move right to there where it's like when the first time you're you're like singing in front of people 
you don't know how your body's going to move. You know what I'm wow. saying? Like you have all the ideas in your head about like what it yeah. is to perform, but it's not until you're in front of strangers and you're totally, you're doing it. And I remember yep. just like feeling so free in that moment. I love just, that. Well, cause you would wild out. Let me tell for, for those that don't know or didn't have the privilege of seeing you, you would wild out with the guitar. I remember seeing stricken being like, Oh, I, I like that guy. Like specifically before we knew each other, I was watching stricken. And I, and, and I remember thinking to myself, like the way you would perform on with your guitar was very much how I wanted, I performed as a singer. And so that I was really attracted to that, to your performance. And then when we met, I was like, Oh dude. And I also loved the duality and who you are when we speak versus who you were when you performed or who you are when you perform. I, I just found that to be obviously fascinating, but also just like a testament to like the multifaceted, like the multifacets of like who we are as people. Right. I just, it's, it's so human and it speaks to who we can be versus who we're supposed to be societally. And I don't know, I'm getting deep, but anyway. It, uh, it's really funny. So, I would people be like be like oh yeah like do you, would you consider yourself a good guitar player and my response would always be like I don't know I'm more interested in throwing my guitar at the wall than actually it was so like, sick dude. Like, it was so I, sick. I do not have a single guitar that's not extremely broken I like, love it like all of my like Fender was nice and gave me uh like you know hooked it up with like a you know not an expensive model but like I have post touche like a guitar that actually works right but like yeah, I yeah. have a I have I can't throw them away, but I have like a graveyard of basically like in cases, <laughs> these guitars that have broken headstocks I love that have, it. that have like, that like all the knobs are missing. Like just, <laughs> I, I was way more interested in throwing that thing than actually playing properly. It. So when we got a second guitar player, I was like, thank Christ, because we yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I get through these songs. Yeah. I was, a, I was, a yeah, I loved yeah. it. It was so, it was so, and it makes sense. Like who, who you became, the catharsis that that I'm assuming, right? That you know, right. it, it may be presumptuous, but the catharsis that I see in your writing, what you say, how you say it on stage, how we receive it, it, it it's really, um, it 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 really makes a lot of sense. And there's definitely a lineage or a thread to be drawn or pulled from the way you performed physically then, and the way that you express now, um, as a front person with the microphone and with literature. I, I, it's, it's incredible. So I just kind of oh, wanted to I appreciate tell that. the people on this. Yeah. It was awesome, dude. It was so fucking rad. Um, what was, again, thank you. What was the, uh, what was the first band you did? Cause I mean, yo, let live was obviously a band for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. like, like my band, like that band was playing with you guys in like 2003 or yeah. whatever it was. Yep. So like, yep. um, was there a band before let live or was that the first? Yeah, that was the band before it was, the band that let live literally just turned into we didn't really change members or anything we just, i just changed the name because Change i was like name. oh we're just yeah we're just a different band now like we just write different music because my first band was a punk band um called fubar and we were like the only band at the time in our high school although there had been bands around us like from el segundo and there had been bands before us in the same high school westchester high school um the abductors came from westchester um false alliance el segundo there, there was a few bands um before us we were the only band at the time so fubar was the band and then i was punk rock because i was 14 and i i 
I hadn't actually really gotten known about the hardcore scene. I only knew about the vestiges that were punk rock, right? So I was like watching somebody got their head kicked in or decline of Western civilization or things like that, right? Like I was watching those videos going, oh, that, that seemed like it was cool. And then the town over, like a bunch of El Segundo yeah. kind of introduced me to hardcore. And the first show I saw there was at the El Segundo Teen Center. And it was Faded Gray, Death by Stereo, and Avenged Sevenfold. Wow. Those are yeah. the three bands that played together. Like, and now, like for anyone that understands, that's a pretty wild uh, spectrum. You yes. know, of like, you know, type, types of punk and metalcore and hardcore. Faded Grey was like from Nevada playing, you know, pretty like straightforward hardcore. Totally. Um, Event Sevenfold was sounding the seventh trumpet. Like, so it was like that metal core but like still yeah, metal-ish. Yeah. yeah. And then Death by Stereo was Death by Stereo. Like it was right. like, you know, yeah, this yeah, punk, yeah, yeah. but like with Ephraim singing. And yeah. So that band FUBAR was the first band that I was in. And then once I got introduced to El Segundo, and hardcore and saw that straight edge was not only was still alive. Like I was like, Oh, okay, cool. That's rad. They had else going to straight edge t-shirts and yeah, it sort of breathed, it breathed life into something. I thought I was looking at um, in the past. I saw that it was still there. So that was pretty cool. And that's what really um, started FUBAR. And then I turned that into let live when I was like 16. So I started FUBAR 14 started let live when I was like 16, 17. Okay. Um, Something I never asked you that I think is really, I, I'm curious to hear your response on is you and I both being big Glassjaw fans. Um, yep. Did your mind melt when he sang the El Segundo line? Dude, I swear to you to this day, I still can't believe he did it. Like I didn't believe, I, I promise you, I went on the internet, early days of the internet. Is there another El Segundo in America or in the world? Like not believing that yeah. that was the El Segundo that I learned about hardcore that then led me to Glassjaw. I was like, there's no way he's talking about this little city, this enclave of a city. And the fact that you get, I'm assuming you were probably into hip hop before that, the fact that you get Tribe referencing it in Left I left my wall El Segundo. Exactly, exactly. And then you get Glassjaw referencing it. There's probably dude, a part of you that's like, yo, maybe my town is special. You're, dude, you're so, you're so good and so right, bro. Like, that is it. Th those two things, Tribe and Glassjaw coming together on that thing, the place where I went that I'd take an excursion to, to, to learn about more about music and a scene. W whether or not like me and I was going to have the best relationship later in life when I started learning about systemic injustice, <laughs> uh, you know, and racism <laughs> yeah. to begin with when I was naive and I was and, and but but let me say this, the friends that I made in El Segundo that I have to this day. They taught me about a type of friendship and a type of fucking misfit culture that I don't know if I could have gotten anywhere else. And I want to say thank you to them specifically because a lot of them took me in and I didn't have to feel so weird, especially at the time when I was searching for my identity, where I was like trying to find out where I fit in culturally, you know, allowing them, allowing me, you know, notwithstanding some moments where I was definitely token, you know, there was, there were people there that were like allowing me to be who I was or who I thought I was to be. And I really, you know, I got to shout them out for real. Thank you guys. Yeah. I mean, when you're young, the rose tinted glasses can might as well just cover your entire body. You, you know what I'm me? saying? Cause you're just yeah, like, Hey, I'm, yeah. I, I, this is, I'm, I'm surrounded by people or, or in a, it doesn't matter really what the place is. You're just like, I'm, 
I'm, I'm feeling like I'm belonging to something right yes. now. And you're, and that's all that's really computing to you in those moments, you know, totally, totally. <clears throat> um, what was the first show that you ever played? The first show I ever played was, well, we played a talent show, but we only played one song and we lost. It was at the high school. And people was it original, loved it. original or cover? We played one. Oh, we played, we played a cover green day. Thank you. We played basket case. And then I snuck in. So I guess it was two songs, but I snuck in one of our originals um, to play. Okay. So it'd be the first time there. And cool, the cool thing about it was that, again, I was at Westchester High, which there was a, a large black population there. And I was known as, because I went to school and lived around a lot of these people. A lot of us got bussed in or we drove from Inglewood or whatever to go to this school on permit yeah. or whatever it was. So a lot of, we, I've known a lot of these people from elementary school, from, you know, are are from where we are originally and i played and we i was always known from the moment i picked up the skateboard watching marty you know skate grab onto that jeep outside of burger king to get to school because <laughs> he was late yeah from that moment on i was known as like the light-skinned brother with the you know with the 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 3c curls and and doing the weird shit but i was still with the shits you know i was still like involved in a lot of like you know the stuff neighborhood wise and and and, and gang adjacent so i played this talent show and largely black audience and since i was since it was you know me and my friends they really were into it and it was like i'm gonna say this on this podcast i don't know how many people on this podcast would understand or say this but no there is no better hype people than black people like black people will hype you up like from the soul train lines to the damn you know your your, your sister telling you looking good that day like whatever it is like there's no hype people like black people so when we did our thing, I we didn't win, but I had felt like I had won yeah. a Grammy that night. They was like, <laughs> ah, Jason, you crazy. Like, you know, what? Like, and so that was really cool. And it really, like you said, getting the bug when you, you sang for I Am The Ocean. Yeah. It was over. I was a rap. I was like, okay, this is it. Like, I'm doing this. This is what were I'm going to do. Were you playing guitar too? Or were you just I singing? was. I was playing Damn. guitar. Okay. Yeah, playing guitar. Okay. Yeah. Is there footage of this performance? I got to ask my best friend and one of my brothers, Alex Haythorn, um, who started Let Live with me, who's in yeah. the band. He he yeah, might yeah. know somebody that might have it, but <laughs> I've always been really bad at documenting shit. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, I'm bad at it. I'm so bad. Like that's why I didn't have like a um I never had a Friendster. I never had a live journal. I never had a MySpace. I never had a Facebook. I got a Tumblr because someone was posing as me on Tumblr and giving like really terrible advice to people because people were for whatever reason asking this person advice thinking it was me. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely not not uh, what a what a give any advice. What a what a weird what a weird fucking lane right? to go and not not just right? like oh, oh I'm reposting photos because you know I want people to think I'm this cool person, but like going out for advice is very giving crazy right and that's the fucking danger one of the large dangers of the internet like this motherfucker was posing at me posing as me and adopting a lot of the language i was using and a lot of the verbiage and the way i was speaking and people were believing it so anyway i never had none of that until later i got i got you know i started that and then got instagram whatever so but i've never really been that good at documenting stuff but what i am learning about like this podcast for example like if you can broadcast something that is positive then why not do you know what i'm saying like if it's not self-aggrandizing too much or self-indulgent too much like if you can broadcast something positive then then why not so i'm, I'm really 
going to try that this year more. Um, I was going to say, so what was the first, so could you talk about documenting? Were you making demos and things like that? Um, like, did you learn yeah. how to like self record anything like four track stuff or, or what was the first time you ever recorded? Dude, dude, you're you're just bringing me back, bro. I, I need to tell these stories more often. The first time we recorded was one of the Eagles from the band The Eagles' son knew. Oh my god, this story is so crazy. Okay, did you ever run into a dude named Bucky who was in this band called The Sick Boys, S Y C? And I think I it stood for Street Youth Corps. What's funny is the name Bucky does sound like it's like it's hitting somewhere deep in my you brain. You probably ran into him, dude. Okay. He okay. was like this this really eccentric. We no one knew how old he was. Guy, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had no idea, but he was like hanging out with us, and we were like fourteen, fifteen, whatever. He was putting us all on shows, Club Lush, Westchester Sports Bar and Grill, like fucking I don't know, just weird ass shit. And his band was left a lot to be desired, but had so much fervor for what they did, bro. Like, and so they did so much for us. They actually propped up so many of our bands in the, at the time in the, in the area. The point is Bucky was my inroad to this person. I can't remember his name, but he was the son of one of the Eagles. They lived in Malibu in a, I mean, it was, it's everything you would think it would be this incredible home. Yeah. Fucking off of like you, you're sure you take PCH, but then you go like miles up into the hills of Malibu. It's like a fucking farm that I didn't even know existed in the area. Anyway, Eagles money then gets this guy, his own recording studio. And I think he was the, I think he was our engineer you know via bucky we record these demos and um it was just like such a wild abstract sort of experience abstract because i'd never a recorded and b i never was in a house like that again because then i started fucking recording with roly you know in yeah, the, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. south bay and shit like that you know tough guy recordings so i had this like really strange idea of like what recording was and in my head i'm like oh my god it's gonna sound amazing like look at this house we're in and this gear blah blah it sounded like total dog shit he didn't know anything about what he was doing he just gave us the shit from the board he just gave us the fucking recording from the board and so, that was my first demo based on this conversation right yeah can you imagine like thinking about you and your father, could you right. imagine being this man and being like, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm a recording engineer and is clearly yeah. so bad at it. Like, yes. Like, yo, like, could, you, like could you imagine how that, how that life was? <laughs> like, like all due respect to this Bro, man, I'm sure he was trying hard. So maybe, right. he, maybe he got so much better and I hope he's living well. That's really cool. But like, <laughs> I can't even imagine the, the pressure that this man was under to like bring, bring strangers to the mansion to record poorly. You feel me? Yo, that's the thing. It's like, you should have utilized some of that pressure, nigga. Like, if you were, you should have been like, I gotta be, at least give them some EQs on this bitch. Like, it was just straight from the board. Like, it was crazy. I remember, even as a young person, 15 years old, going, this is not how this should sound. Right, <laughs> even right. as like a, you know, I saw what was going on, blah, blah, blah. Like, we took so long to set up. Mind you, we did record everything live, except for my vocal we yeah. do, like we recorded all the instruments at the same time and then i came in and tracked but nah it was it was it, it could have been i mean look you got eagles money you got eagles network 
you could you know how to scoop some mids. Like, come on, bro, hook it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so you did a live. You're pl- and this was this Fubar or was this Let Live? That was Fubar. That was Fubar. Okay. Okay. Yep. Dude, that, does that recording? Not that I'm asking you to put it online, but does that recording <laughs> exist anywhere? <laughs> It does. My man, Alex Haythorn, the drummer, yeah. my best friend, my brother, he's still got it. He's got all that shit. That's awesome. I'm glad I'm it's glad there was cool. one person that held on to that stuff. You yeah, know? he's amazing. He actually, he was an archivist for a sound, like for like a fucking production company. So he oh, just yeah. has it in his blood. He, he, he is so good at it. He shows me like old CD booklets of burned CDs, like bed bedtime for democracy and fucking or like weird science that like we like we, like all this weird shit he still has it to this day photos everything i love him for love it that. we need love people that. like that right especially yeah. in our scene yeah when even in that circumstance where maybe you maybe you more not as much at the time maybe whatever like obviously you were realizing something's a little a little funky in that situation but like when it went to time for you to do vocals um and even kind of going forward like are you someone that is excited to hear yourself back? Like, was it scary to hear yourself back? Like, were you ever surprised when you heard yourself back? Were you just like, oh, damn, like, that's not how I expected it to sound. Or like, that's better than I expected it to sound. That's worse. Like, mm. that, like that kind of a thing. I know that I just kind of like threw that question in four different I directions. Like but, but yeah, it's, you know what I'm saying? It's like the first time you're doing it. Also, you're in a room sometimes and everyone's looking at you, you know? Yeah. Like, did, did you feel that pressure? Thing. Yeah. Nah, I got to be super real. Again, I was so competitive and, and, and silently competitive with myself that I was so ready. Like, yeah. I was so ready. I'd sang so much in my room. I, I'd been singing since I was a young per, young a kid because my dad, like, so I was so, so ready. Um, You know, I, 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 so no, I wasn't tripping at all. I was just excited. And I'm also a dreamer, right? I'm always, uh, Later, to like to my advantage, being able to plot out and see how these things were going to play out have helped me so much um, in my life. So I did that. I do that to this day. I still I'm like, okay, what if this happens? What if this? What what am I going to do here? And and you know, if anyone's seen me on stage, like everyone asked me, do you think about what you do before you play? No, um, but I I've, I've thought about it for 10 years before. So I, I have every movement, every fucking hiccup, every pretty much plotted out. And that's why I'm able to kind of like skate by these, these, these near fatal in- injuries or seemingly <laughs> near fatal injuries on stage. Um, but yeah, nah, like, and also to be super rude, you, dude, like I was such a big, a massive, a, an obsessive AFI fan yeah. That I just sounded exactly like Davey, bro. I was, I was going to ask like what kind bro. of vocals you were doing if you if you were trying to hit, if you were hitting notes or if you were just yelling. So it sounds like you were you were like singing, singing. I was singing, bro, because Davey yeah. was like the guy for me. Because again, he could like he was singing notes, but it was like gritty, yes. and so it was like kind of hardcore, but singing and theatric. So I was like, dude, like I, anyway, I was I was obsessed with AFI and. um like shut your mouth and open your eyes. I was listening to it so much that the CD, like it wasn't skipping. It just would stop playing. <laughs> it was just worn out, dude. Like I just wore it out. So I just it sounds just like, like it would just start to slow down. Just, and you just hear it just be like, come on, man. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> come on, man. it's like again, like yeah. for real, yeah. that was what happened, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
was the what was the first release that you did was it the um the like let live uh exhaustion ep was that like the first time that it, like something was like in like an actual physical form F first physical form was actually a demo called the solid state aftermath and that was let live but okay. it was like a four song demo but we we like put it out you know we we know how yeah. we did back in the day yeah we go to shows give our demos out put our fucking website and how to contact us to book shows right like yeah. and we had a dot tk website like we were we were in it here's the um, big question. here's the big question though was it a was it a blueback cd like cdr or was it like a, a legit ass one it was a blueback okay sure. yeah that's right yeah, yeah yeah you know how because we, yeah, we and then you know remember the cd um cutouts you you could get to put on top like it would cut the thing out and it'd be like a sticker and then you could put your own fucking thing just, just the most pixelated shit in the entire most world. pixelated <laughs> shit that's what we did with for that before that was after the memorex you had to write your shit on the you know yes. fucking your name on the bottom and shit yeah <laughs> okay okay uh <laughs> well i was actually curious what the um what at one is at one records right? at one records yeah. yeah what like was that your was that like a friend's thing was that your own imprint what was the deal with that it's my homie it's yeah. my homie ricky rollins who is now a very successful manager he manages darren chris um the dude from glee and he was in oh, that wow. versace film yeah he's a and also he's also an artist uh, cool. a very very uh very very talented artist singer songwriter um but that dude ricky and ricky rollins and shane jenkins they and at the time, Christian Johansson, who was like uh, sort of taboo in my band because he was my my advisor in youth and government, this mock legislature in court that we do uh, throughout California. I was in the Westchester delegation. I met Christian through the de through the delegation. He was 18 at the time. I was four, 14 and we weren't supposed to hang out. He was my advisor. It, it just yeah. like, it was not it was against the rules. We weren't supposed to fraternize outside of totally. the program. But I found out that he liked punk rock and he could play bass and we needed a bass player. I was like, dude, you should be in our band. And he <laughs> was for awesome. up until Le up until let live. Yeah. So, yeah, oh, yeah that's dude. awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I, well, I want to talk about specifics with your discography, but just to, to finish out all the first up questions, what was the first tour you ever did? First tour we ever did was, um, it was just us meeting up with bands along the West Coast into Nevada and Arizona. We took three cars, two Priuses, and a Corolla, and we put all of our gear in the backs of those cars. We put one of our homegirls, um, drove and did quote unquote did merch. Yeah, and we drove and we did you know, L.A., San Diego, uh, Stockton, Phoenix um las vegas and uh tucson what year, what year are we talking is this like 2006 2005 it would probably be 2000 and if i was probably 2005 yeah probably 2005 okay wow man so how yeah, far how far it. how far up did you go did you do like washington or oregon or anything nah or just, on just that california? specific one we just did like california that's the farthest we went like okay. you know central california or something on that one but yeah, in three cars and our skateboards. At what point did you get a van? Wow. Probably like, oh man, probably not until like 2007. Okay. And dude, Let Live was notorious for the actual worst van choices and van 
incidents. Uh, don't like tell me, don't tell me you gotta dodge. Bro, we gotta dodge! We gotta dodge! And it was like the old, like it wasn't even a touring, it wasn't like a 50, it was nothing like that. It was like a family van dodge. And we were like, okay, well, we could put uh we could put a trailer hitch on it. Fuck it. And yeah. dude, like, we're like, whoa, it's got stained glass. Like, this must mean it's sick. Bro, it, it got us, it didn't even we didn't even get out the fucking parking lot when it was actually time to go. Oh my god. It was oh insane. We god. never actually toured in it. It was insane. Oh my god! Yeah, the, the first van that Thriller had, we bought off of a gardener for five hundred dollars, and it still, had, it still had a, a pile of dirt in the back, like literally. Yes, it did. A mound of dirt in the back. <laughs> <laughs> no working air conditioner. Summer tour, just yep. driving everyone in the band with their shirts off, just soaking yep. in the leather seats. Just yep, that's exactly like ours. Exactly five hundred bucks, no AC, fucked. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! Wouldn't trade it for the world, but my God, my God. I know exactly. No, um, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> there was. Oh, I've never told this story on any platform before, but I feel like just, just thinking about this van, you're gonna appreciate this. Where uh, <laughs> we were on a, you, we were on this terrible DIY tour. At, you know, our bread and butter was never playing a city that actually was like a known city. Like it was like, right. You, you, the example I give is like if if your friend Tim tomorrow was like, hey, hey, Jason, we're uh, we're coming on a West Coast tour. Like, I'll see you this summer. Then you were like, oh, shit, where are you playing? And then they're like, oh, I'll send you our tour dates. And then they, they do. And then you look at it and you're like, why are you playing Big Bear? <laughs> There's no L.A. show, but you're playing Big Bear. Yes, like, yes. Like, like that's, that was what Thriller did, where it's just like, oh, you're playing Oregon. Oh, shit. Where's your show in Portland? You're like, nah, bro. And Medford. Like you put us, you put Let Live in Casper, Wyoming. You remember, you had just left Thriller, but you had yes. got us linked on this tour, and you put us at the VFW in Casper, Wyoming. That and it was strange. lit. Yeah. And it was lit. <laughs> I was like, that was when I talked to when I when Two J started. I was just like, I was like, yo, man, like we thrived in Wyoming. We thrived oh. in Montana. But yeah, well, you were killing it thriller was ki- thriller was like rock stars over there but you yo could not draw a bath if we played austin texas <laughs> i loved it you know dude i so, loved it yeah it was it was the wild west of that okay so uh <clears throat> we're playing in wichita kansas had a situation where the kid that said we were gonna uh be able to stay at his house we showed up and he was like no nah, you can't stay here um okay. <laughs> So it was like we did like the overnight drive to get to his place early in the morning. Oh god! To, to then sleep until the show, but we showed up and he was like, sure. "He's like, no nah, man, no. I got to go to work." We're like, <laughs> right. so we did what every band does is where you just go to the mall. You're like, I guess we'll just yep. go park in this mall and try to yep. sleep under a tree because it's in the middle of the summer. <laughs> so th- th- because this is tiny van, we have no. There's like no room. There, you cannot. There's not enough room for everybody to sleep. Oh. So I slept on the roof of the van. Literally, the roof. No, of you the did van. not. Yeah because there was i was like i this is it i guess everyone whatever so our guitar player sean like laid across underneath two of the seats like it was really bad right but for the funniest shit in the entire world so you know that thing where like sometimes you know it's a, it's the power of a power nap right where like even yeah. if you just slept for 25 minutes you could wake up feeling very refreshed yeah so, sean our guitar player he just like leans up and he's like oh man i feel so refreshed and then our drummer goes sean you just left for 15 minutes and then his, <laughs> his immediate response is i'm so tired 
<laughs> like, like just the realization of how bad the situation was. He, how, yes. he just jumped. Yeah, it was it was all bad. Hey there. Do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. So what about your first European tour? What was the first time you ever, or overseas in general? Like, did you do Europe first? Where did you go first? Do you remember? Yeah, the first place we went was Europe. Yep. Yeah, it was mainland Europe. It was us. It was Let Live, Your Demise, Stick to Your Guns, and Break Even from Australia, from Perth, Australia. Dude, shout out Mods. Yeah, Mods was the man. That was, he's the man. Yeah, so that was our first um, European excursion. And it was, uh, yeah, it was the first time we'd met all the bands i had met your demise prior because of um we, we had met through friends when they were in yeah. the states but yeah we'd all met that t- and we were sharing at the time we were sharing a van or pickup transportation with stick to your guns and okay. some people were sleeping in the loft and i remember seeing jesse the singer had an ipad and i was like what is that like i didn't we were so yeah. poor dude like yeah, yeah, yeah. and stick to your guns had like been doing shit you know so they had they had some things uh, totally. you know, or what I consider to be things at the time. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just learning how to tour. I'm like, for real. I was like, oh, so you can have like something to entertain you or something to communicate with people with. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It was that, that tour. How long was it? It remember? was about, it was about a month. And then, oh. then after that, let live proceeded. We continued to, pl- we went on to play, um, some like download festival and some other festivals as well. I think oh, no like way. right after it or something. Yeah. Wow. How did you take to being over there? Was it a hard adjustment? Were you just sort of excited to be there? Was it? I was yeah. just excited, dude. Yeah. I just didn't give a fuck about anything other than being on the road. I didn't care about anything anywhere with whoever. I didn't give a fuck about any of that. I just wanted to be out. And so while did we were you... out, I was just like, this is amazing. Was there a place that, that on that for I don't know if I've ever really asked many people this, but like, do you remember a place on that tour that stood out to you as like the kind of the most magical where you're just like, oh my God, like this place is so different from where I'm from? Switzerland. Yeah. I remember going to Switzerland. I was like, yeah. what the fuck is this Pleasantville? Like everyone looks healthy. You know, the it's hella expensive, but no one cares. Um, it was a beautiful day. We played that venue that's like right by the river in Zurich. I was like, oh, what the fuck Dynamo. Is yes, Dynamo. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We played Dynamo and I was like, dude, what? And I was like, okay, we've made it. Like, it's my first tour. And I'm like, oh, well, if we can play here, then we must be, we've been verified. Like, we, you know, just thinking, that, you know, it just made so much sense to think this place has allowed us to be here. So we must be doing something right. It was so funny, man. But yeah, that was, the Oh first my place. God. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I've dynamo in the summer is the best situation because you can play oh. it and go swim. 
all of that. Oh, like it, everyone's I, out the cafe having their fucking oh. little macchiatos, and oh my god, it's amazing. It feels like a, yeah, very idyllic society that you're just like this is like nowhere else. Like I, totally. I, yeah. Oh my god. Totally. Yeah, what a place. What a place. Um, even if we're playing a festival there that maybe the audience doesn't really seem to care, I liked being able to just be like, you know what? I'm just gonna stare at those Alps while we play. You feel me? <laughs> I did that shit in Norway. We played in Norway. I'm like, these motherfuckers don't give a fuck about what I'm talking about. And then, I, I, but I was like, we were right, again, right by the water. So I was like, fuck yeah. it. I literally took a boat ride, like on a boat out to these, like these mountains and then back and swam and then went back yeah. before we played. It was amazing. So Dude, I feel that. Oh, respect. Um. Okay. So let's talk about, so. Where did you meet Roly? Because for people listening, Roly, a a man who recorded a lot of bands back when, I think my, I think my familiarity with him, because I actually really never knew him personally, but he was his name that I always knew because he did like Graf Orlock. He did Dangers, bands like that. So like, how did you, how did you meet this man? Because he recorded the first few Let Live things, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, he recorded the first. Aside from the Eagles, man. (laughs) Yes, I mean, yes, yes, yeah. After him was Roly, uh, Errol Ulig, and he's the man. He's uh, I met him. He was in Fallen Angel. Fallen Angel was a band from El Segundo, but Roly actually was like in more in like the Redondo Hermosa area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was and is to this day the most incredible guitar player because he gives a fuck about guitar on so many levels beyond metal. It's like blues, jazz, like all he, he's incredible. So he was like the best guitar player that we all knew. And he was in fallen angel and he wrote this amazing opening riff that they used twice, once on the demo, once on their full length. They were the first band to like get clicked up with any of the, you know, at the time, you know, there was some FSU fucking homies that they had and yeah. they played shows. They were the first band to play Showcase. They were the first band to play Chain. Like they were the band. They were the band. And my one of my friends from back in the day who used to live in Westchester, then went to El Segundo, Chris Alas was their original singer. And then Robbie Haight became the, late, the singer later. Anyway, yeah. Dr- so Roly and then their drummer, Adam Castle, was the drummer in Let Live for a while. So we all met through this their band, Fallen Angel. That's how I met Roly, and he was recording everybody, like I said, all. Yeah. But he was recording people well. Like, that's the thing is he was good. You know, we had a, yeah. all, all of us have our little homies that record. He was good because he gave a fuck, and he's very talented and very just, he's just a smart fucking musician. Straight up. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, And... The first, the fake history record was original. Yep. So I was, I was looking at this because I don't think I knew the, the like actual um, timeline of things. But if, if, if my assumptions of being a rocker in this world are correct, yeah, it was originally released on that Tragic Hero label. But then was yep. when Epitaph re-released it because I saw there's a Brett Gerowitz, um production credit. Did you add that last song that yep. he yep. as yep. released on Epitaph? Correct. At Sound City before it before it closed down. Yeah. Oh, no shit. Yeah. He was he he was like, I would like to sit in and help produce and help with the he was there the whole shit. Like yeah. And then tracked us and I wrote that that song. For that last song. Just just for that last song. This mime. Yeah. I wrote that song on the same couch that Kurt wrote something in the way. Fuck. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. So it was like this red couch that they had there. Yeah. So something that struck me was, okay, well, first off, Tragic Hero 
Um, I know that's they're still active. That's like a label from like the Carolinas or something, right? They're like an correct label. How did you? Mm -hmm. How did you get in touch with them? Like, how did that come your way? Because you were still quite a, you know, you were a a known local band, but like, was it MySpace type shit? Because like MySpace Mm. obviously like got a lot of our music out. That's certainly why Thriller felt like we had the privilege were when we shouldn't have been. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) but but yeah, like, what did was that just kind of how it came your way? You know what it was? It was um, it was Tino from at the time one of my favorite bands at the time, a band called Lower Definition. He's now the drummer in a band called The Mice and Men. Mm-hmm. He he was a Let Live fan because we'd played with Lower Definition at the Green Turtle in Whittier back in the day, and he was like, "Yo, he knew Tommy," and I just dude, this you these are great, so good. The questions are so good because you know all the like layers to these things, right? So we had tracked Let Live had gotten hit up by Media Scare. The Ghost Inside, Betrayal, etc. Okay, hit, Baron hits hits me up. Yo, I want to track these songs um, for you. We'll see what's up. Demo them, whatever. I'm like, yeah, word. Let's get it. let's get it. So we do it. We track. We do do the thing, and then nothing really comes of it. I'm like, all right, yo. So I hit him. I'm like, yo, like, um, so I should, you know, how do I pay you for these demos or whatever? And 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 we just it was just kind of nebulous the communication. Yeah. And then eventually I. Tino hit me up. He's like, yo, my homie over here, Tragic Hero, wants to hear some demos. So I sent him these demos and he loved it, wanted to sign us. And then when Baron, the the owner of Media Scare, yeah. first and foremost, bitch ass nigga, fuck Baron to this day. He could get it anytime, any place. I don't give a fuck. Like, that's real. He's a bitch. He played our friends. He played a bunch of our friends. And to the, he's a crook. Fuck Baron. And that's what it is. And that's what it's always going to be. Um, <laughs> he got mad at me and was like, oh, I thought it was Let Live and Media Scare. I was like, bro, I've been hitting you and you literally wouldn't give me a contract, uh, an answer and wouldn't even tell me how I could pay for the demos because I didn't know you were tracking me to do anything with me. So f- as far as I'm concerned, you didn't want anything to do with us. Then he got mad. Hindsight. Thank God. Thank fucking God. Exactly. Yeah. Thank God. Okay. So that's how you ended up meeting Tragic Hero. But I was also, I caught... A label in fucking Japan put that CD out too, like Zestone. Yes, yes, oh, okay. Zest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> had you had you had you been to Japan? Like, why is Japan no. with you? No, they just fucked with us. This one dude, um, this one dude fucked with us from there, and he he was like kind of sort of like a partner ish with um Tommy, who owned uh Tragic Hero. I think they had something oh, okay. a distro okay. situation. Okay. And yeah, so they put out the the Let Live shit. But he came over to America and like met us and shit. It was really cool. Did you, at what point has, has did Let Live get to play Japan ever? No, no, Let Live never played Japan. Wow. Has Fever? Yeah, Fever's played. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was going to say like, there's randomly bands that don't realize like maybe how big they are in Japan. You know, because, so, well, that was because, fever because of one of those situations, because like this, someone put out your CD at some point. But I, so I, was, I was curious if, if there did you ever meet anybody when you went over for fever that were like, I discovered you because of this CD? No, but the dude tag, we called him tag. The dude who yeah. was like our, our lead, like our person, point person at the Japanese one. He came and um, I met him before, but he, he pulled up and was like talking about everything from let live to. Yeah, fever yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. 
But now, nah, just mo- yeah, it, it is just like you said, though, it's interesting how you could show up somewhere and because of distribution. And now, especially with the Internet, you could show up and, and people are like singing every word and show sold out, you know, in Osaka or some shit. Right, right, right. Like that band uh, Taken, the Orange County, you know, Taken. Dude, uh, Ray. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like they had a, a CD that came out in Japan like early on and like that. And they're that's like probably the place that they're still to this day, like the most known. You know, it's That's like they just crazy. randomly do really well there because of that one situation. So I was just, yeah, I was curious if that had anything. Yeah, in. I feel that. Um, how was it for you working with Brett? Because I'm assuming that's the first time where you're working with someone who is a stranger in a way, but also someone yeah. that you know. And, you know, like, how was your relationship in the studio with him? Were you just sort of listening to his advice and going with it? Or was it more collaborative? What do you remember? Mm. So we all have to remember that I was definitely very much in let live mode at that time. So listening to people like wasn't my greatest attribute. Okay. <laughs> like I, yeah. I like, you know, so he but but to to be to be fair, he had great suggestions and it wasn't crazy. It was nothing. It was like he really loved what we were doing and how we were doing it. So he was more so helping enhance and craft a better version of what we were doing versus like changing what we were doing. So. Um, and also I actually had a huge realization in the studio with him being like, oh, you're like some type of genius. Like he's the way he sees things in music and hears and, you know, you got to think there was a period of fucking over a decade up into modern music, probably even now, you know, I didn't, they sign drain and and all this other, you know, you know, and you, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, where you know, he, he knew what he was talking about. I don't know how he knew, but he did. And so I, I took that on board. And when we were working, I was like, Oh no, he's seeing things that I wouldn't see, or he's looking at this way. Blah, blah. So it was, it was just really cool. And it was easy and there was no conflict or headbutting. And, um, he respected like our boundaries and we respected his opinion. And I think that's really important in those moments. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Cause I mean, I'm, I probably have questions similar to that going forward with with the people you've ended up working with and collaborating with if you are good at not even good at because it's not really a skill or anything like that but how you are at heeding advice from an outside perspective when you yourself have such a vision you know what i'm saying like it's yes that's a great question because there's also the situation where maybe you're nervous because you want to um impress this person impress this person by like doing what they tell you you know what i'm saying and doing a good job of what they're suggesting but also navigating keeping your vision in line you know what i'm saying that is a good question it's a great question because if i'm being fully transparent like i've had this experience more recently as fever was seeing more success with anything i think with anything especially in music or anything that can become seemingly transactional, which is like the last thing I think about with art, um, even to my own detriment often, um, people will, more people will get involved. More yeah. people want what you have. More p- people think that they need to be involved, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And you start plugging yourself into these different things. So I was trying to, it's hard, right? When you're, openness and willingness to learn and to grow is misidentified by others as as an opportunity for them to exploit you that's when things get difficult right so yeah. a lot of people i worked with 
um, just, just, just to name names so no one thinks I'm talking about them, like Travis Barker, John Feldman, who I, who I was working with, they were extremely good mentors and extremely um, open to things that they didn't quite understand, I think, which is really important, especially when they have such a pedigree and a caliber you know, a lot of people would say like, why, why even listen to anyone else when you've done all these things that have, that have quote unquote worked. Right. Um, they allowed me to explore in my own way, the things that I knew I wanted to with my own vision. Um, as we move forward, you know, in the project and it's doing well and, and from an outsider's perspective, it seems like there's this trajectory that again, could be profitable. So there's going to be people coming in, wanting to write, wanting to offer artistic advice, wanting to be your lawyer, wanting to be your label, whatever it is. And the thing is, is here's the biggest difference. And here's how you can bifurcate the two to any artist listening that, that cares to, to, to take this advice, heed this advice. Your vision is your vision. It's playing in your head, right? And until you can put that on a camera and display it to the world, everyone else is going to take their vision and try to make it your movie, right? So if you've got your vision in your head and it's not a movie until you display it, until everyone can see it and see what it is, it's hard, it's tangible, it can't be misconstrued. It's just your, it's just in your head. So what people are going to do is come in and they try to make their own movie, put their own actors, put their own fucking ending, their own plot to your vision and create their movie. So they'll take your script and then they'll try to make it look different on the screen. Right. And that's that's very, very, very much how most and, and sometimes it's not even intentional. Sometimes they're doing it because they think they're helping you. Sometimes they're doing it because if anything through any other person's filter will look or sound or feel different. That's just what it's going to be. So yeah. for me, navigating through all that, I am extremely open because I, I believe that there is no better way to succeed than being open and learning and challenging yourself and being able to look at things you've done right and maybe even making them better, things you've done wrong and make them better. Um, but the long-winded answer to that is what I've just given you. It's like, yes, I am. But what I've come to realize in the past two years is you can never, ever tell your gut to shut up, ever. Don't ever do that. That's very smart. Yeah, I get. I that makes a lot of sense to me because, yeah, I mean, I think we've all been in, I mean, you and I, like people have been around for this long. It's like you get in situations where you are hesitant to push back because of who you're working with. But yep. if something deep inside of you is like, I just don't know. Yep. With yep. us doing that last record with Ross, there was one or two moments where he was suggesting something that, and a lot of his suggestions, I was like a little hesitant at first, but then I let them live. And I was like, okay, this actually, you know, I can see the, why this works. Sure. But the, the, there was a one or two times where I was like, mm, and mm -hmm. I would finally speak up. And what I loved was he was like, tell me why not. And I right. would plead, I would plead my case, and he was never listening to what I was saying. He was listening to how I was saying it. Wow! And he'd be and he'd be like, "You have passion and how you're and how you feel, and that's all that matters. So we won't we won't go that route." Like, I love that. Be, you know, what I'm that's saying? awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Which that's was really cool. A really yeah. So I wanted to ask about uh, the the record that followed Fake History, the Black's Beautiful record. So like, yep. In reading about it, the fact that from what I could tell, you you know, you describe and, you know, of course, like when you're just reading a, a short paragraph that could be taken out of context, it's one thing. But like from what I understood, you guys were like writing that record actually like on the road and like picking up and like recording demos or, or whatever it was like yep. while you were on the road. 
Yep. I guess I just want to ask how. Because <laughs> like, because like, yo, there's, you know, you always throughout the years, like people listening right now, they've read interviews, they've heard people talk about yep. like, yeah, we wrote that record on tour. I, it's yep. so hard for me to imagine doing that because like, I know you've talked to me about that because it's just like, because <laughs> it's like, yo, writing it like sound check when we're sound checking, it's like, we always just feel like we're on everyone else's time. So we just want to yep. like, be do- like our sound check if, if at best we're off stage in 10 minutes, we're just like, yep, totally. I can hear everything we're done. So like, totally. where are you writing? Are you writing in the back? Are you writing in like the green room? And how mm-hmm. hard is it to get everybody's fucking attention for that? Because everybody yeah. wants to go eat. Everybody has friends in town. Talk to me about it. I got to keep it super real. Like despite whatever, you know, let live eventually dissolving, when we were in it, we were fucking in it and we would fight and we would argue and we'd have, you know, all these things, but we fucking held it down. Like we, like, again, when you personal to work, relationships, you fucking worked, right? Absolutely, yeah. dude. Yeah. Personal relationships aside, like we, we gave that band everything. And yeah. so when Jeff, our guitar player, he was a, he, he was a very um, capable engineer uh, as well as writer, obviously, and producer. Oh, so, that helps, yeah. You know, so he had his laptop. His laptop, dude. So we're doing it, like, in the green room, in the van, uh, at someone's house, like our homie's house. Our homegirl had a basement. We would, I mean, everything we could, we would do it. So everyone was so, we were so dedicated to the idea and committed that it was, when it was time, it was time. No one tripped. It was, it, it, we knew we had to get it done. Because there, there's also a quote saying, like, you guys, you know, like tracked a certain song, maybe like a, a bunch of different times. And you guys were just trying all these different things. Was the motivation yeah. for trying different things being like, okay, we finished the song this way. Now let's pull it apart and see how else we could play it. Was that like the idea? A hundred percent. That, I mean, that, that, that to me is like both like a double-edged sword for me personally. Right. A lot of that has to do with me. Like a lot of that has to do with, um, I just feel like my strongest, my strongest, um position as like a producer now that i see when i work with bands in writing is that i'm able to go oh i hear that part in this part of the song or i hear it as this version of the song but what if we go here and um i'm able to find different avenues to drive parts lyrics whatever it may be a, a literal single sound and so we did that just to make sure um, that we were giving the material the best representation it could. I, I I perform my writing and producing personally differently now, but back then we were all committed to this idea of like focusing on the song, that song. So that's how that's how we did it. Yeah, we just go from version to version. There's a there's a phrase or not a phrase, a word that gets thrown around a lot, which is demoitis. You know, like you get so used to the demo that it's hard yep. for you to do something. To, so, like, I guess I was curious when it came to doing all of these two different versions from like my own deep personal curiosity. It's like, were there times where you took a you took a song so far in such a different direction that uh, it was ever hard for you to go back to like maybe the best version of it? Like, was it hard that when you've done so many different versions to actually be able to figure out what the best choice is? Yes. One song, one, one in one song only. Okay. Um, a song called Pheromone Cult on that album. And the way it was written, if I'm being super, super honest, I had, I was in a relationship with somebody. We had just, you know, spent time together in the evening and yeah. she was sleeping and I, you know, as cinematic or, or 
hyperbolic or poetic as it sounds like I went, I literally lit a candle. I didn't want to wake her up. I like lit this candle and wrote this song. And the way that I wrote the song on my guitar and vocal, everything that moment, I was like, this is how it should be played. But because we were a band of five, you know, I was like, well, let's incorporate this and maybe better. And we did all these versions of that song when in reality, we probably, and, and when in reality, the first version we all eventually agreed was better because that's how we ended up playing it live. After trying it a few times, yeah. we ended up playing it the original way that I, you know, wanted to play it, and and that's how we ended up playing it live. Yeah, you just had a cinematic, beautiful moment. You're like, I'm such a romantic right now. I got it. This yeah. is yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, such a romantic in a way where I'm literally writing a song about how I can't actually love the person that's in my bed. Like that's so fucking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a hard time. It was a hard um, time. So I have a question about the record that followed this. That yes. Um, I discussed my, my, uh, how I was approaching some Jonathan Davis questions. So I'm going yes. into this question with this in mind, right? Love it. So, Love it. so, uh, I'm actually going to read verbatim what I wrote on the yes. paper so that I, I get my, it. I get this across. All right, here we go. So, um, so this is for, if I'm the devil, right? Yeah. I know. like when, when we, it was really fun for me to like kind of revisit a lot of these records and been listening to them these past couple of days. And that one struck me as like very, 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 very like pop oriented and like all these yeah. different sounds and things like that. Right. Yep. So what I wrote was when writing songs that are so well produced with amazing musicianship that is capturing a specific pop energy and sound, do you ever second guess the end result? I find it hard separating when I recognize that you're accomplishing making a thing that has mass appeal. And sometimes I forget, like, if I'm asking myself, would I like it? Right. I you know love what I'm that talking question. about. I or, love that question because there's. I love that question. And then to add my own, like there have been songs that we have recorded in the past. I'm not going to shout them out because whatever one reason or another. But there's times where right. I'm like, where I'm like, oh fuck, like I hear how this is super catchy and like I hear that this works, but then I'm like, is that just because it's achieving a sound that I can recognize as mass appeal, or is this actually what's best for the band? I love that. I love that question. That that's such a good question. Um. For that record, If I'm the Devil, in particular, every song written the way it was, which everything to me was exactly what it was supposed to be, but the way that it was, um, excuse me, was mixed, the way the choices we made, not the mixer, but the choices that we made, the things we choose, the way we chose to EQ certain things, the dominance we gave certain sounds, certain moments, the polish we put on, that, that it wasn't. It, it, I gotta be super honest. It's funny, actually. Most people would probably say, think I would say this about The Black is Beautiful because of the way that was mixed. But I'm actually, if I'm the devil, songwriting-wise and incorporating all the elements that Let Live was up until that moment, I think it was great. But the way that we chose to mix it and the way what we chose to highlight, I think we didn't give the songs the proper breath of life that they should have had. Like they should have had more of a glass jaw in the way that it's still aggressive and it, it, it almost bites you, but it grabs you with those catchy choruses. But because of the textures, it doesn't look, it doesn't feel like a pop song. It feels like this really cool, like you said, catchy, captivating hardcore song. Yeah. And, and that, and that, and also like also the exploration with me vocally, like I was like, you know, I've always wanted to sing like a song like foreign cab rides, like, or the song, if I'm the devil, like really put 
emphasis on my singing voice and being more emotive while still having like heavy parts under it. I don't think we actually gave the heavy, the bite, the punk, the proper um, outfit to go outside into, right? If we're put, if you, you know, when you're dressing something yeah. up, you got to yeah. have the appropriate clothing. And I don't think it did to go, you know, well, at the end. And I'm, and I'm asking this question in all honesty, because the songs sound so confident and they're so they're so well executed that it sounds yeah. very like lived in. And I, and, um, but I was just, yeah, I was coming from knowing you as long as I have and like knowing what yep. it feels like to like get to a certain point in writing a song or recording a song. Um, where I think that there's a lot of bands within our world that sometimes can get lost in the sauce of that stuff. Yeah. You're hitting a level of being like, I see how this can connect to a wider audience, but like second guessing if it's who you are inside. You know? Dude, I gotta. You, you, we gotta speak on that. Don't do that, whoever you are. Like, don't do that unless you're willing to give it all up. Like for real, yeah. give up, give up that part of you that would not like you now. If you get, if you get rid of that kid, then go for it. If that's what you want now, and you're okay, to go for it. But if right. you're still the 14, 15 year old kid that wanted you to do more, that wanted you to succeed, being different, being weird, still being talented, still writing yeah. good songs. But if you're willing to give that kid up for adoption, then go do it. That's fine. I'm not even mad at you. For yeah, real. Yeah, like, yeah, go yeah, get yeah. yours. But don't ever and, – and one thing I will say is I never – and we as a band, we never gave that kid up for adoption. We never – even in even that last album, we threw shit to the wind and we're like, fuck it. Let's see what happens. But part of that was because of the punk, right? Like when fucking The Clash wrote like fucking like Sandinista or something, right? You know, going and trying out these all these new textures and feel like – People probably were like, what the fuck? Or Bob Dylan plugging in his guitar for the first time. People being a fuck. But to me, that's punk, right? Like, I love making people go, what the fuck? But totally. I don't think that we were able to foster the attitude and the idea because we didn't stay a band long enough afterwards either. I think that has a lot to do with that as well. Sure, sure, sure. So, you you know, when we were hanging out at, uh, at Vainstream, you were telling me this long story that I'm sure you've talked about before about Lelev breaks up. You're working at a you're working at a grocery store. You meet Travis yeah. Barker, um, which is an amazing story. You guys end up clicking. You hang out, and then you just decide you're going to work together with John Feldman on the yeah. Fever stuff. Going that's that's the that's the cliff note version of this. Yeah, story, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. Okay. And uh, so, I guess because um, the first thing that came out was like 2017 or something like that. It was like a it was like a, a few song EP and then that ended up being a part of a larger EP, right? Yep. 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 Yeah. So, like I think we took one of the songs and then moved them over to the thing. Right. Something like that. Yeah. So like, I guess I was curious, um, were all of those songs recorded around the same time or was that an EP that was like built out over time? Because something that I've noticed with fever is like, you guys drop a lot of singles before you put it all on like a thing. Right. Yeah. Um, was that something that you enjoyed that prospect of, you know, like that aspect of it? Sorry, where like you do singles and then you figure out what's best to make like a full thing. Like, is there something, is there like a freedom in that or is it more oh, stressful to not be I a full it. thing? Yeah. I love it. I love it. Just cause you know me, man, like, I, like my, my brain just won't stop. And now that I have the ability and capability to, record music the way that I can. And also I just feel way, way, way more confident in my own songwriting and production. Um, I actually have to, I have to get this music out. And sometimes I'm like, who am I to say like, no, 
you can't hear the song. Like, what do I like? I don't know if like this song is going to connect in this way or this way. And that's kind of the beauty of it is just kind of seeing what sticks and also not being beholden or or so precious. Like I was in Let Live. I was so much more precious in a lot of ways, which I think actually held me back um, as far as like producing songs and, and, and these things. So I love it. I absolutely love it. I, I can't even lie. Because when I'm asking friends specifically these kinds of questions, like I always uh, interject my own brain and how I would work and stuff like that. Like, is it hard for you to know when a full record is done to be the thing when you're kind of working on things as maybe one project at a time? Like, is it is it hard to be like, okay, this is the record now. Now I can let it go and we can put it out. Not so much. Like right now I have uh, like, Honestly, I have four albums worth at least of music right now. And then I'm still working on. And now the album that I'm working on now to release is the last one I've started. So it's just a matter for me. Again, when I said, don't tell your gut to shut up. It's like, yeah, there is a there is a lot. There is a something to be said about getting in your own way, you know, which I have been known to do in the past. But right now, what I'm trying to do is free myself of that of these fears and anxieties of like what if and what are people going to think and just go no 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 this is truly what I feel right now this is what I need to contribute to what I think the world needs right now versus like this is just what I need right so I'm trying to figure out how do I contribute um alongside satiating my own desires as an artist but also as a a fucking person as a citizen you know as as a father as a as a mixed person in America like finding my my insert in all of this so no it's not hard it's just listening to my gut i love that and something that you said earlier that i clocked was like you know you're thinking about things so far ahead right yeah and i think that as a front person that's a really important thing to have um it gets me personally in trouble a lot with my band because when we're writing a song i'm already thinking about how it's going to feel performing live on stage right like how is how is this going to flow how is this going to you know is this does it have the things that are going to work in a live environment right right and because you yourself are such a energetic and exciting and fun to watch front person like when you're deciding what songs you're going to like going in the right direction and stuff like that are you yourself thinking so far ahead of like how could we perform? How will this feel when we're performing this song live? Does it have this? Does it, you know, does it have all the things we're looking for? That's a really, that's another fantastic question. You, you are good at this boy. Let me tell you. Oh, I appreciate that. You are good. Um, no, I don't because it's funny though, because so many people, because of who I am live, when I go into write with people, um, you know, they'll be like, the live or how will this lie? I'm like, I don't know, but I'll make it work. Like that's kind of where I'm at at this point. You know what I'm saying? Again, back to the competitiveness, the challenge, all that. I'm like, no, no, no. Like if this shit feels good right now, I will, I will make sure it feels good live. And if it doesn't, I'll figure it out. Like that's my challenge. That's my getting up at five 30, even though I don't want to, that's the ice baths that I take. It's the fucking coffee that I'm drinking that I don't want. Like it's all the same shit to me. It's just making it happen. Right. Right. I was curious about when it comes to getting ready for a tour. Um, is it difficult putting together that set list and then rehearsing it and then like finding the right moves for it? And then once mm. you have that locked in, does that stay the set list for that year? Like what, wow. like how does that all go? Cause you guys have production, you guys have yeah. all of these sort of things. It makes it a little harder to sort of do more things on the fly. Right. For sure. Um, so, okay, this is where I want to go with this question. 
there's times when I write a set list and then yep. I feel really good about it. And then we'll play it two nights in a row and I'll be like, yeah, yep. yep. <laughs> so do you get yourself stuck in these situations where you're like, fuck, I wish we would have moved these things around. And then is that a problem? Yo, okay, first and foremost, I love you. We are so, whether people know this or not, we are actually so similar in so many ways. And um, our initials, yeah, baby. Now, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. It starts right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? Honestly, I, I am such a huge fan, uh, not of his personal life or his, the way he treats women or abuse drugs, but James Brown, the way that he, would just move things on the fly the way that he'd be like, all right, we got to play this. Oh, this is, I could say that this feels like a good set, but if we walk into goddamn Leeds in, in the UK and something just happened yesterday and this song that isn't on the set list speaks to that thing that happened yesterday, I'm going to tell you I has to play it. Like we're going to figure it out and we're going to have to play oh, okay. it. And my, okay. my sound guy and the light person, but they're all going to be fucking mad at me. And they'll, for, you know, maybe for the rest of their lives, hold this vision of me as somebody who was hard to deal with. But I know that the rest, like the other thousand or whoever, or 20 or whatever other people outside of our little clique that got the experience and that got what they needed from that night, from that song being changed is the most important thing. And a collection and a sum of those, uh, you know, those energetic parts, what that will create is something larger than anything, any fucking upset moment, any sort of contempt, any sort of frustration any of us can hold against me or each other having to play the song, even though it wasn't the set, means nothing in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the energy that we're putting out to the crowd, to people, to the world. So nothing is more yeah. important to me than the way it feels. Nothing. Do you feel like you know pretty quickly and are you good at communicating those things because i it's a problem i have where like i'll let something bottle up and then when mm. i finally decided to speak my mind it's usually at the most inopportune times right so, right right so like are, do you do you know pretty quickly and you want to change stuff or is it like kind of like oh shit it's 20 minutes before we go on i want to change <laughs> this right now sorry guys i used to be like that i used to be like mm, maybe maybe i'll feel better or maybe this totally. person will play different it makes me feel different like i i, I feel like I'm my anxiety. I'm excusing my anxiety for empathy, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm using empathy as an excuse. I'm like, oh no, like I don't want to, I don't want to yeah. make them feel that. But at the end of the day, I'm just like, oh, what do I, or, you know? Yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. I used to be. Now I'm just like, all right, now nah, that ain't it. And I know people will give me looks or be upset or whatever. But I'm like, nah, let's try it this way. Nah, let's try it this way. And and you could talk to anyone that's worked with me, my whole career. They'll say the same yeah. thing. Like he'll just say some shit. And a lot of people don't know why I say it. And I don't know why I say it other than I just know it feels right. And I'm not trying to be fucking arrogant. But when I every time in my career and my life that I've worked on how I feel and making sure that I'm not affecting anybody negatively, uh, that's something that will continue perpetually. But just knowing that the larger uh, positive mark from this moment is going to last. That's when I've been most successful It's just is again, don't tell your gut to shut up. Just don't. Love that. Feel that. Last <laughs> question. Uh, totally. Uh, so I just had one question about Pressure Cracks. The, yeah. The hardcore band you're doing. So yeah. is there anything that, that you do in Pressure Cracks lyrically that you feel is separate from the other bands? Because like, again, I insert my own brain into this shit. I have a band called Hesitation Wounds, which I was like, yeah. that's going to be my political band because those songs right. don't make sense to me in Touche. Like, if, right. like, whatever. So like that, that was my excuse to have that outlet. Um, you someone who is very, very 
outspoken in an incredible way about your politics, all of this sorts of stuff. Like, it seems like you've inserted that in all of your projects. I was curious if there's something about Pressure Cracks that you feel you can express yourself that you can't in the other bands. Yeah, I can take more of a let, a let live metaphorical approach with pressure cracks. Like I can say things that like take you some time to digest and figure out versus like this like distilled quip, right? Like in, in Fever, I'm like, this is what happens. Here's a cool way to look at what happens. But I'm telling you that black people are dying on TV in, in droves, like right now in real time. Like it's very easy to understand what I'm saying in Fever. I just want to say it in a way that can be clever, which is again, very much because of the, my hip hop, my love for hip hop, right? And the, the sort of aggressive direct way is my love for like original punk rock and hardcore, like in your face, you know, punk and yeah. hardcore. With with pressure cracks, I'm able to, you know, utilize more metaphor a little bit. You know, the prose is a little bit different. I definitely keep saying around the same shit because I just, that's just how I feel. That's like, who you are. Yeah. This is who I, it's just how I feel, you know, totally. but uh, the way I say it is definitely a little bit different. More, more let live than it is fever. Love that. All right, shit, man. I, I feel like we could do this all day. So I'm going to hit you yeah, with the last me too. <laughs> What was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing that you've been working so hard towards? The, um, remember that first show I told you about in the, you know, the audition, the uh, talent show with Basket Fubar? Case? Yeah. Yeah. That was it. That was the moment because my whole life, I feel like I had been carrying this, again, burden of identity, these crises, um, the socioeconomic things that I, whether or not I was very clear or could articulate, I was carrying these things. And in that moment, I was able to let go and perform and be this person that people may not know me as, or maybe the person I didn't even know myself as yet and be applauded for that person and celebrated for that person. And in that moment, the first time I ever played like my first technical show, which, which was a talent show at Westchester high school, I realized that my life had been leading up to this moment and that I had to take that moment and make sure I never, ever let it go again, which is why I am now a career musician. Beautiful answer. Thank you, dude. I love you. This has been such such a great time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, dude. Hell yeah. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Jason for coming on and thank you for listening. This episode was edited, produced, and made to sound so great by my boy Ryan Rainbow. Big shouts to him. And reminder, there is a bonus episode available right now where Jason answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can find the link in the episode description or just head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Thank you so much and I will see you next week. Take care of yourself. Be good. Bye-bye.